Hello and welcome to another Expert Insights show. Each show, your host Donna Hansen interviews an expert on the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and profit both in business and personally. And now, here's your host, Donna Hansen. Hello and welcome to this Expert Insights episode. I'm Donna Hansen. In this Expert Insights episode, we speak with Christy Garner. Christy is a trauma educator who utilizes EMDR therapy for trauma resolution. Have to say that slowly. EMDR therapy is an interactive psychotherapy technique used to relieve psychological stress. It's an effective treatment for trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. I know Christy does a lot of work with first responders and given what is and what has been happening around the world with the COVID-19 pandemic, I was curious to find out more about EMDR, how it helps and how it can help everyday people deal with trauma or the impact of the fallout a pandemic brings to mental health. Hi Christy, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Donna. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Before we start, how did you get into EMDR and can you explain a bit more about what it is? Absolutely. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And what that means is you move your eyes from side to side. So you stimulate the right and left side of your brain. Basically. Mm -hmm. Bilateral stimulation. And a lady named Francine Shapiro came up with it. And she says she was walking through Central Park in New York City. And she was feeling these memories and these thoughts about something that was really bothering her and had been going on for a while. And she noticed as she was walking, she kept looking from right to left and right to left and right to left for a while. And then she sat down on a bench and she noticed she felt a whole lot better. And she was like, hmm, maybe there's something to this whole thing. So she started experimenting. So I think it's been maybe 20 or 30 years since that day in the park. And she's run lots of tests and people use it all over the world for lots of different things, um, but mostly to decrease the effects of trauma in the body and mind after distressing events. Mm, and there's so. certainly, a, certainly a fair few of those going on at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a trauma therapist for like 20 years, uh, working on the front lines with all sorts of people, survivors. And EMDR is kind of like what I call the most somatic natural therapy. So EMDR uses your body's natural responses to help you move through the trauma. And I noticed through my 20 years of working that that is where people get the most relief is where they really tune into the body's natural response for healing. And I wanted to dive deeper into that. So I did some EMDR training and tried it on myself and I was amazed at the results. So I became a, a therapist in it myself. So, uh, so it sounds to me like it's it's a bit like the psychological equivalent of um, your body self healing when you cut it or something along those lines, but taking a more proactive approach rather than with your finger. It's a it's a natural healing process that just happens without any conscious thought. Absolutely, yep, similar. The body kind of puts everything back where it goes when you go through EMDR. So that's the thing that I think is amazing. 
choosing our body's natural response, not kind of getting all these tools and techniques and having to do them the right way. You just kind of follow the body's natural inclination, and that's where the healing happens. Mm, interesting. Well, thanks for that. So it's yep. strange times at the moment with a global pandemic. What have you observed during this time as it relates to EMDR and in your work? Sure. So let's just talk about trauma in general, right? Uh, EMDR is used when you're trying to really relieve something that's been very distressing and something that you can't really get through on your own. And I think right now we're all in the middle of a very distressing event and all of our bodies are extremely taxed and we're all having a hard time or... You know, we're using our coping mechanisms that maybe aren't the best or healthiest or easiest for everyone around us uh, to cope with what's going on. So I think that we're seeing a lot of, of course, 27% um, increase in alcohol sales all over the world. So some coping skills, right? People are sleeping or can't sleep, drinking too much, uh, probably more pizzas bought than have ever been bought in the history of grocery stores? I don't know for sure. <laughs> but just a lot of coping skills, right? People really trying to deal with their emotions and not quite knowing how to do that. So I think just seeing a lot of agitation, relationships either falling apart or getting closer, we're seeing a lot of extremes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I uh, notice it here because I know at the time we're recording this, we're still in lockdown in Melbourne, Australia, and, um, uh, you know, it, it's challenging. You get to a point where people feel like they're caged and they start to rebel and, and then you start to see those, any coping mechanisms they may have had, you know, start to fall away and people are looking for alternative ways of expressing their frustration and, and anger and disappointment and, you know, how they feel emotionally about all of this. Yeah. So, so how does trauma affect people? I'm assuming, because we're going through this pandemic now, it's not limited to the person who has experiences uh, and, and not suggesting that, that one experience is worse than another, but each person's own experiences are extreme to them, regardless of what that experience uh, is for them. Um, but um, I'm, I'm assuming it's not limited to trauma itself, but has a flow-on effect. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I really like to explain to people is, number one, and I bet you've seen some of this, and maybe your spouse or, you know, someone close to you in your home, you, people around you that you know really well, their coping mechanisms, like the ones that they used when they were five, are the ones we're going to start to see. So it's not necessarily that your partner's a terrible person or that they always act this way, but something will happen and you'll be like, oh my gosh. So I just say people's worst coping skills right now are really coming to the surface. And I think that's one way that it's affecting every single person, right? And your history of trauma, your history of kind of what kind of social network that you have, right? The way that you were raised, if you have like a really close-knit family and a lot of support, those people, I think, have a different way of experiencing what's going on right now. If you're one of those people that's a little bit more isolated in general and has, let's say, some family members that have died and you're kind of more alone, you're going to be having a totally different experience than other people, right? So I think there's a wide range of what's happening 
And besides our worst coping skills coming to the forefront, I think we're also seeing this kind of one thing on top of another on top of another, right? And so the cumulative effect of everything that's happening is really taking a toll on our systems and we get less and less able to handle stress, to think creatively, to focus, right? This is what I keep reminding kind of employers like, People need more time off right now just to recover from the week and the news and the fires and the hurricane and the racial uprising and Mm COVID-19 and their family member being in the, you know, kind of isolated in the old folks home. So many things on top of each other, even if you think everyone's doing well, they really aren't doing their best work right now. Yeah, that's uh, so true. Everything you've said there, and and I think the key thing for anybody watching this is um, you can't judge everyone else's experience by your own because each experience that people are going through is, is individual, and it it seems big because you're going through it. I, I always love. I, I don't know if you're a member of a show. I think it was in the nineties called Ally McBeal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember Lucy Lou saying to Callista Flockard, why are your problems so much bigger than everyone else's? And I remember Ali McBeal looking at the camera and going, well, because they're mine. So, <laughs> you know, and, and I just thought that was just such a relevation to me at the time. Our problems seem so huge because they belong to us, so we have an emotional attachment to them, but... Um, you don't feel the same uh, towards my experiences because you haven't experienced those experiences. So it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, what can the collaborative we as an organisation, teams or families do to build and incorporate um, trauma information into policies, procedures and practices. And I'm, I'm guessing those three probably aren't the sorts of things we'd be doing at home, but we all have our own um, unwritten ways of operating in households and families, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that question. I think it's so, so needed right now to keep asking that question. What can I do for myself? What can I do in my home and with my family? And what can I, how can I support this in the bigger picture of what I do every day? And, you know, I like to give this example of my husband is such a better person when he comes home and sits in the car or sits on the porch for five minutes and just breathes deeply, right? I was talking to another friend on the phone yesterday and I said, you know, right now, really, we have to take care of ourselves and we have to take care of our own nervous systems. I think everybody's a little bit crunchy around the edge, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. a little bit activated. So staying regulated is the first way that we can affect change inside of ourselves, our families, and even have those difficult conversations that we need to be having about how do we change the systems in the world, right? We have to be regulated. So doing the deep breathing, the meditations, sometimes I say we don't always need to calm down. Sometimes we need to move with the energy to regulate. So, you know, I tell people like, get some exercise, go on a brisk walk, go on a run, right? Do some push-ups or, you know, do whatever it is that helps you move energy out of your body. For most of us, that's some kind of exercise or movement. I think some people like to dance or do Tai Chi or, you know, some kind of yoga, right? But there's simple ways like just doing push-ups against the wall for a couple minutes during your breaks in your day can really help to move some of that energy up and out, which helps you to stay a little bit more open. 
And when we're a little more regulated and open, then we can approach all of our problems in a more creative and diverse way than if we're got this much space, right? Yeah. So that's my first tip. <laughs> <laughs> for yourself, for your family, and for organizations, right? I keep saying you got to make time for people to do this. You got to make it easy in a meeting to come into a Zoom meeting and say, hey, connect, right? Eye to eye is what helps us regulate our nervous systems when we're really agitated. Someone else, even across the Zoom, just saying, how are you? Really helps us to come into our bodies, right? And so that's going to help just a simple thing you can do for your job or with people. I also tell people with your kids that are going to homeschool, right? They just need a little bit more time in between and in their transitions to like, <sighs> yeah. This is a new experience all around, and particularly for, for children, um, you know, if you're homeschooling, you know, it's, it's highly likely they haven't experienced something like this before, and this is traumatic. And as adults, it's likely that in the course of your life, you've probably experienced some trauma, not like the type of trauma that we have. So I guess collectively as organizations, as teams and as families, we're all, it's, you know, I know it's a cliche, but we're all going through this same experience together and how we feel, how we respond and how we react. It's going to be different for different people because, for example, if, if I'm a mother and I'm working from home and I have a couple of young school-aged children, it's going to be extremely stressful for me because I'm now trying to work from home as well as homeschool my kids. How do I juggle all that sort of thing? So it creates a lot of stress that if I work in an organisation where my manager doesn't have children or has adult children that can that are self-sufficient in educating themselves, um, it, it makes it harder to provide um, uh, empathy. Yeah, absolutely, empathy. That's yeah. why I say we all need to build more of it and share it. Because that's what everybody needs right now. Just like you said, we just don't know what's happening for each person. Absolutely. So um, you shared an idea about sort of grounding and, and one of the things that your husband does when, when he comes home um, and sitting out on the porch or in the car and just reconnecting. So a lot of people will, will do that sort of thing if they're going physically to a workplace. Um, do you have a, a view or ideas or, or any insights you could share with our viewers and those who may be listening to keep them grounded in these challenging times? Sure. You know, you were speaking of being in lockdown, and I think that's been the experience of so many of us around the world and you guys right now. And this way of what kind of routines do you have that bring you a little bit of peace, right? Like, how do you stare at some trees out your window for two minutes a day, right? How do you make a cup of tea and really pay attention to the smells of your tea and let your body just invite in those aromas, right? Do you play the, your favorite music as you're showering or at the end of your day as a transition out of work into your home time, right? How do you actually bring in little pieces that feel like giving yourself a hug, right? How do we give ourselves a hug every day in these lots of different ways? I think that that's an important piece and that piece of no one can do it for us. We really have to do it for ourselves, you know, and just really showing up. And I think 
the other thing, right, there's this piece of we're really trying to cultivate resilience. We're trying to cultivate our nervous systems being able to handle a larger amount of this dysregulation, uncomfortable, and uncertainty. So how do you do that? And that's this other piece of being able to kind of regulate even when things are a little bit bigger than you think you can handle. So my best tip for that is uh, cold shower adding one to three minutes of cold water at your shower at the end of the day, or you can start by splashing cold water on your face, but right, the body, when it feels that cold water is immediately going to constrict. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to help our systems when that constriction happens to breathe through that, right? And so that's that minute of cold water at the end of your shower. You're really teaching your system that even though it feels like this, it's actually okay, right? And we're going to be okay to live through this minute of cold water every day. So those kind of tips of how do we stretch just a little bit further, that's really what we also need to be practicing right now. I think um, one of the things I've learned over the years is, you know, when I recognize in my head that I'm stuck in a particular place and I don't like that place, uh, you know, you talked about going back to exercise for a lot of people as being the one thing. I just think about how can I change my state. So if, for example, you know, I'm craving some chocolate or some junk food or something, uh, I have this trigger now in my head where I go, okay, well, you know, if I still feel like that after I've had a drink of water, then I'll go for it. And I try to pace it out to um, take away that, that urge for something that I know consciously isn't necessarily good for me. It's a nice treat, but, you know, a whole block of chocolate, well, it doesn't cut it. Um, but like you said, things like going for a walk. I don't know about you, but I've found in this, in the middle of all of this, one of the things I've noticed is I'm noticing stuff. So, you know, I'm blessed in living in Australia where um, I'm not far away from parkland. So I can go for a, a walk and in five or ten minutes from my home, I can see, um, they call it a mob of kangaroos grazing on the grass. And it's just amazing to walk past and watch. There's usually one that, that is watching out to protect the whole mob. And it, it seems to make eye contact with you. And I swear it's like the Mona Lisa. As you you know, the cartoon things, it's like the eyes are looking at you as you walk past because it's trying to assess whether you're a threat or not. Now, you know, I'd, I've done that same walk for a long period of time. And sometimes you just get caught up in the busyness of what you're doing that you don't actually recognise the beauty that's around you. And I, I think, is that something that you've noticed people have become a little more grounded, a little more present? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to describe it. And that thing of slowing down, right, that just a little bit, like you said, taking that extra moment to take in that scene and be like, oh, wow, look at that. Notice something really small, right? Those are the little things, I think, that are also building that capacity, right? Like, the, the world is so much bigger than what's happening to us right in this moment. And how do you go from that micro, my problems, to the bigger, like, oh, the stars in the sky and the mob of kangaroos? You know, this is that kind of titration of how our hearts beat, right? How a butterfly's wings fly, right? In and out. We're not supposed to always be at one or the other, right? We want to cultivate the capacity to keep moving, in and out both ways. So I love that example, Don. You have such a calming voice. 
<laughs> do you get told that all the time? I do. And I'm not sure if I had it before or if it's just like the years and years of therapy that's made it that way. <laughs> Um, one of the things um, that I'm concerned about, particularly for organisations who might be slowly bringing staff back into the office or perhaps they're um, reacclimatising themselves with a new way of working, because I know I, I spoke to a client recently who said they were grateful that they had all their technology set up so it wasn't that challenging to, um, from a, an equipment perspective to enable people to work from home. But it had now prompted them to reassess their working model moving forward. And a lot more people will be working from home because, you know, it's better for their lives, et cetera, or, it's, it, you know, there is no need for them to return to an, an office environment. So um, as, as people start to go through that uh, return to work sort of scenario, um, you know, I imagine a lot of people are going to be bringing experiences and their um, uh, their stresses and their anxieties back to the office. Um, how can organisations or, or how can families or teams um, make sure that they don't sort of traumatise people by bringing them back to the office or uh, to schools, etc., in the wrong way or in a way that really all it does is is just further agitates uh, the feelings that they they've uh, developed as a result of um, the pandemic. Yeah. So I was reading a little bit about Facebook today about how they've transitioned their workforce and what they're up to. And they said the number one thing they loved was they gave people, the military is doing this too, giving people the ability for the next six months or until the end of the year to do what they need to do and be as flexible as possible. And I think that that is such a great way of thinking about it, right? We're looking at the big picture here for your employees, for your business, for the way that things function. So if you say, hey, whatever's going to work for you the best over this next chunk of time, we want to support you to do that. So I thought that was great that they said that. And another thing is to really hone in on the communication piece, right? We talked about how it really helps to help people regulate, but I think especially people in dysregulating situations, the more that they know, the better they feel, right? We're all trying to get a little bit of control over a circumstance that we really have hardly any control over. So the more that you can communicate to your employees exactly what you're doing, the more you open up the communication and make those channels available for people to hop in and hear from you once a week, I think the better your people are going to feel about trusting you, coming into that place, and being able to know exactly what to expect from you. And I I think that's the number one thing that people can do right now. Do, do you think this will change the team dynamics that um, as people come back to the workplace? Because we've gone through this shared experience together, do you think the dynamics of how uh, organisations and their teams will work will become, well, obviously it'll become different, but more sort of family and supportive nature uh, rather than just being you're a work colleague and, and that's the box that you fit in. Mm, yeah. You know, we've seen each other's homes and offices and pets and kids and, you know, we've seen so much from each other over this time, I think, being in each other's homes this way. And, you know, one of the biggest things that the um, – surveys keep showing is there's such a high level of anxiety, depression, 
people really not knowing how to deal with their mental health and wellness issues, that I think it's impossible now to go back to normal. I think there's got to be a way that we integrate a whole lot more health and wellness support into our everyday and all of our systems and make people feel like we really know that they're struggling or we really understand that this is such an uncertain time and moving forward. You know, how do you tell someone we care about the whole picture of you and not just what you're giving to this job or this project right now. We really want to support you as a person. I feel like businesses that aren't doing that are going to lose tons of their employees. And and I agree with you 100% there. I think uh, one of the things I've noticed is those organizations that are demonstrating to their employees that they care about not just uh, their performance uh, and their productivity, but about their, like you said, holistic health are going to be the ones that when all of this is over and opportunities are created for people to go to other jobs, people won't want to go anywhere because the organisations looked after them. So I think to a degree how organisations respond to this crisis as we start to bring back and transition to a new normal will determine, you know, whether they they become uh, employers of choice and, and create that loyalty where realistically, let, let's be honest, for probably the last 20 plus years, um, you know, generations back considered you started working a job and that's where you stayed for your whole career. But now I think it's almost like we're circling back and there's the possibility for um, organisations to retain that intellectual capital all dependent upon how they respond in the next phase of, of reconnecting. What are your thoughts on that? No, oh, I absolutely agree with you 100%. One of the things we were talking about just recently uh, in like training right now, like what kind of training can we do? And someone brought up, wow, that one really feels good. That feels like you care about the people that you're that are in your company. That feels like you're extending something saying, we're thinking about how you're doing and we really want you to get these skills or get this support because we really want to help you. And I thought like, wow, if you think about that piece and if you just incorporated one more kind of training or support system for your employees where they felt like, oh, that feels so good. Those people are going to do so much more work for you excel in what they're doing, create better, you know, have deeper conversations with each other than if you just keep doing the same thing, you know. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. How Absolutely. do you on that new wave of how do we support the people to bring out the best in them and to, and to keep them with us? And, and I think there's a really, really fine line between showing that connection to your staff and just ticking a box, and I think the organisations that stand out will be able to look at something and go, this is something we need to go all in on. This mm -hmm. is not a tick the box thing. In fact, if we go down the tick the box path, you're probably going to uh, upset a lot of people. So if you're going to do it, do it well, because this is the time that it really counts. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've been talking so much about pivot and I'm like, well, this is a time to actually like source deep inside of yourself and say, what do I want the next phase of my life, my business, my organization to look like? And so I think all of those things you're talking about, we create those out of that place of what do I want this to look like in 10 years and how do I start doing those things today? 
Absolutely. So um, at, at, we're fast running out of time and, you know, like all the other interviews I do, I, I'm convinced we could just chat for hours. <laughs> what type of resources or programs do you have for anybody watching or listening that may be interested in exploring a conversation with you? Thank you so much for asking, Donna. I have a couple of resources on my website, traumaeducator.com. There's a free download for people that are working on the front lines right now, mini course. And there's a bigger course for employers that want to bring this resilience into their teams and workplaces. And there's lots of little downloads for how to do nervous system regulation, uh, different ways that you can help yourself right now. So was that traumaeducator.com? Yes. Okay, and we'll make sure we've got the link down below for you. Uh, Chrissy, thanks so much for your time today and for your insights on trauma and support and treatment to help people during these challenging times. Thanks for joining us on this Expert Insights episode. Until next time, this is productivity and technology expert Donna Hansen. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Expert Insights Show. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe via the podcast page on www.donnahanson.com.au or through iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn or Stitcher. Until next time, as Donna says, don't forget to work smarter and not harder with technology.